that we call them walls, we call them valleys, we call them, I don't know, chains, whatever your analogy that you use, right? But we have these barriers in need of breakthrough in our life. And so we've been talking about those coming down. And so last week for us was what I called a transition week, okay? We looked at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, which I'll just read it. I'll just read the last part of it. And Paul says this, hey, I'm calling, I a prisoner, a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received, right? As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you received, okay? So we said this was the transition verse. If you know anything about the book of Ephesians, this is the central verse of the entire book. It's actually a small letter, just six chapters, right? Just this, it's the center verse. It is the middle. Everything before it is one bookend. Then there's this one verse, and everything after it is the second bookend, okay? And so what we've been saying is this. The first bookend, the first three chapters of Ephesians, all that Paul is trying to do is this. Listen, it's important that you have right thinking about who Jesus is and how you relate to him. That's all he was saying. It's important that you have right thinking. We use a certain word which you're afraid of sometimes. The word is doctrine, right? But it's simply right thinking, a correct understanding about, about who Jesus is. And who is Jesus? Well, he said he is the only one who actually has the power to take down barriers in lives and to bring breakthrough. Gentiles, don't you remember that you used to be separated from God? This is chapter 2, verse 1. You used to be completely separated from God, and the word says dead. Dead in your trespasses or dead in your sins or dead in all the stuff that you shouldn't do. You literally were spiritually dead, right? You had a physical body, but you were walking around as a dead woman, as a dead man, right? Until, and listen, he says, you didn't do anything to make this happen, right? You did absolutely nothing. Jesus moved. That's Ephesians 1 through 3. Just go ahead and write it up, right? You can't do anything, You need to have right understanding of this and right thinking and quote-unquote right doctrine. You can't do anything to bring breakthrough in your life, to take down barriers in your life. You have to realize the history of your life is that only Jesus can do it. The supremacy of Christ. That's what we talked about. The supremacy of Jesus, Jesus being supreme, number one, right? So the last week was this transition. And the transition, we said, was Jesus transitioning from right thinking which we just talked about, to right action, right? That our lives need to have a marrying, that what we say we believe is actually being fleshed out in how we live our lives every day, which is where we got this this, this verse 1. It says, to live a life worthy of the calling. Worthy of the calling. We said calling is simply this. You've been called by God, hey, to God, Come over here to relationship with him where you live your life obedient to him every day of your life. All right. So you've been called by the calling by God to God for a relationship with him so that you walk in obedience to him every day of your life. That's the calling. So what he says is, so what does it mean then to live a life worthy? We said the, the word worthy simply meant bringing up in the Greek. It means the bringing up, the bringing up of the other beam of the scales. 
you all have seen a justice scale. We looked at it last week, right? A scale that, that if these things, if you put one weight on one side of a justice scale, it immediately does this. And so you have no equality now in your scale. And what we said was that Paul is looking at saying, it is imperative that your life is worthy so that your, your belief and your action are equal. That what you say you actually believe is worthy. It's equal on the scale of your life to your calling, which is to relationship with Jesus. And so the book of Ephesians, if you just break it all down to a simplistic form, it's a book about right thinking, married to right action. With a center verse in between to make the transition. Right? He says, all right, right action, excuse me, right thinking, right doctrine, right understanding. You can't do anything. Jesus is supreme. Only he can bring breakthrough in your life. So stop relying on your own strength to try to make things happen for yourself. Make the transition now and trust him. And then make sure that you're working in your life to make sure that your actions are equal to what you believe. Now, most of you have heard me say this before, but I want to say it again. This idea, and okay, let me say this, the picture we had last week of this was this transition was saying, listen, are you partnering with Jesus? That's the idea. This verse is saying, now, are you partnering with Jesus? A partner is simply somebody who we said gets in a canoe, right? Remember the canoe analogy? He gets in a canoe and he paddles the same direction. Right? That's the book of Ephesians. It's the story of the canoe, right? If we're going to be in the boat with Jesus, we are thinking correctly about getting, about how we're living our life, and then we're actually rowing with him. And the idea is our action of rowing, we're rowing at the same pace in partnership with him. So, partnership with him, rowing together, making sure that what we believe and our actions are married. Simplistic. There we go. So, one of my favorite things to do as a man of the cloth, as my best one of my friend calls me, right? As a pastor, as a minister, whatever you want to call me, right? Just Steve, I don't really care. One of the most, one of my favorite things I like to do is to do weddings. I love doing weddings. I don't like going to weddings, but I like doing weddings, right? I, lo- I love getting up there because you get to be involved in the moment. You get all the passion and Listen, you get to be involved in all the passion of these people and and all the nervousness without feeling it yourself because all you got, all I got to do is just marry him, right? Big deal. And so, but they have all the, what's what's going on with the flowers? And is my dress ready? And is the groom actually here, right? I get the moment of all of this. I get all behind the inside scoop. And and so people all the time come up to you and they say to me at every wedding, golly, what were they talking about up there, right? We heard y'all, we saw y'all whispering. I would have loved to have been up there. And we were really talking about mascara running. Is my mascara running? No, no, you look great, right? It's all this stuff going on, but we're sitting there in the moment, right? And we're just, and we're having this great moment. I get to, and I get to be there as, you know, as the, as we come out with the groom and we're standing there at the aisle and, and he's just, I can see him nervous and he's kind of up on his toes, back down the feet, up on his toes, looking around, right? And all of a sudden the door cracks and all, here she comes. And so I, and I usually, I usually bring him out to stand right in the middle of the aisle and I, and I kind of take a step forward so I can look at his face, Right? To see, is he excited or, or, or this dying in fear, right? It's one of the two usually, right? And so I'm watching his face, and I do this, and then I look down here. And you know how, if, if you know, if, when you're down here, so the aisles are usually much longer than this, and so you really can't make out faces very well from a distance. So I'm just waiting because I can see her. As soon as I can see her face, I look at him because I know he can see her face. And there's this, this whole dynamic going down, the moment that I, I just love. And so they all come forward, and, and they're just really passionate. 
minutes, right? And they're really, really excited, and they're just like all bubbly and giggly and all this kind of stuff, and, 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 and it's really great. And the dad's sitting there going, oh, my gosh, the worst day of my life, usually, right? And so there's this whole dynamic going down, and it's just really, and it's really fun and funny. But I can't, de- and I can't deny, I've got to be honest with you, that I can't deny that there's this lingering thought. It's, way over, it's like way over here in my mind. It's this lingering thought that always presents itself in every single wedding that I do. And my thought is, they have no clue what they're getting themselves into. <laughs> right? I mean, it's like they have no idea what they're about to do. They have no idea what the commitment they're about to make. They're about to, and they get up and they start doing their vows. And they're like, I so-and-so take you to be my lawfully wedded wife to, to have and to hold from this day forward. And then richer and for poor, I'm just laughing to myself, right? Richer for poor and in sickness and in health and forsaking all others. And then they end enunciate, right? I take you, right? And they're just like, I take you. And there's this real passion because in enunciating it makes it more powerful, I think, right? And they're just like, I take this whole thing. I don't know what's going on, right? Because there's just something in that. And so, but I sit there and I think to myself, they really have no idea. And not that it, like, that this is a bad thing, because obviously I'm doing the wedding and I believe in marriage. I am married, right? So I believe in it. But, but I'm sitting there thinking to myself, they, this, this buddy, this dude has no idea, that it, like six months from now when they're living on absolutely nothing and they have no money and he comes home one day and, the, and his wife says, hey, how was work today? He says, oh, it was great. I went to lunch with the guys. And she goes, where'd you go? <laughs> well, I went to Burger King. What'd you order? Off the value meal? Or did you order like off the dollar menu? Well, I got a, I got a value meal. It's a small fry and a small drink. How much did that cost you? Six dollars. So you're looking at it. Think about it. We have no money in the checking account. Six times 365. It's like $2,000 every day. Think of what we could spend and save. I can't believe you did that. Do you not love me? Right? And there's this whole thing going. Because he's like, what? I just had a cheeseburger, right? Had a Whopper with cheese. I didn't get a double Whopper. It was a Whopper with cheese. What are you talking about, right? And there's this whole thing going on. Because here's the thing. They're sitting there in the moment. And they have all the right thoughts, don't they? They're coming in saying, I'm going to be committed to you in our partnership together, right? For richer and for poorer, I'm going to love you because love's going to carry us all the way through. And in sickness and in health, listen, listen, my, you, most of you know my story that my mom was sick, literally sick, couldn't leave the house for like the last 10 years of my life. Before she died, like from two all the way on, she was affected by sickness. And my dad will tell you this day, it impacted their relationship and their marriage together. It made it hard. It made it difficult. It made it something that was not easy, that, that the passion... Man, they still love one another, but it was the passion didn't carry it through. It required in their partnership together to actually invest and to engage and to work hard. And the idea that we get in the moment is this, this idea that, that people are coming and they have right ideas. They have right thinking. In a sense of marriage, they have right doctrine. They really do. They understand that, hey, we're going to come in, and yes, I know it's going to be hard, but I, I just love her so much, and you know, it's going to be so great, right? And I come in and say, yes, it's, you have right thinking, but let me tell you, 
that fleshing it out every day of your life in your partnership together, there will be moments it's like fantastic and the hallelujah angel choruses are singing in your ears, but there are days, trust me, when it does not. And in those moments, right thinking has to transition over into right action where you actually flesh out in, in action what you say you believe and what you committed to. Because that's the understanding of partnership. That's the understanding of the commitment that you are making. And as we get in here and talking about this idea of, uh, of breakthrough and barriers in our lives, there's this whole understanding in and, and Paul here in Ephesians is saying it's important that we begin with right thinking, but it's also imperative that we talk about this understanding of having to work at this partnership and to invest into it because it's not always easy. And he's talking about that specifically in the relationship that, number one, that the Gentiles and Jews are having here, the church of Ephesus. But I would also say it's involving also our relationship with Jesus and of engaging right thinking, but also engaging in how we live every day of our life to make sure that what we believe and our actions are married together. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to jump into this, right? We're going to jump into this understanding of this transition into what does it really mean to have this partnership with Jesus. And, and Steve, in the scripture, I read all the time where I shouldn't work. And what do you mean now by saying about work and what does that have to do with my life and how I've been told to trust Jesus and believe Jesus and to follow Jesus. But what do you mean now as it relates to work? And so we're going to jump into that. Have no fear. It's going to be good. All right. So Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 16. Let's just go ahead and read through. We're going, to, we're going to start with where we began last week. It says this in verse 1. It says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he, what does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, and some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service as the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God who become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then... We will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men, their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. All right. 
So we see this partnership with Jesus. We kind of name the whole marriage relationship to begin to get a snapshot for us of, of what this looks like. So the first thing I want you to see here in, in this story here of Ephesians that Paul's getting at, number one is this. As it relates to partnership, the first thing we have to recognize is that Jesus is the head. Jesus is the head. Jesus is the head. Now, we got there and um, we see a couple different things here. Uh, verse 6 says this. This painting picture of Jesus. One God. There's one God and Father over all. Over all. Of, of all who is over all and through all and in all. So verse 6 says he's, he's the God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. So basically he's saying he's pretty much the most important thing, right? He's over all, he's in all, through all, whatever. Verse 10 says he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Not to fill the earth, not to, to fill the galaxy in the Milky Way, to, to fill... All, everything, every bit of created order and everything that maybe even still yet be, is that's being created. Who knows how that works in the for, furthest extreme, right? All of this stuff happening in verse 15 says, We will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. So there's lots of different analogies throughout Scripture. We, we see even here in... Um, and verse 16 says, From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, as if Jesus is kind of the skeleton of the entire body, right? He's the, if we have no skeleton, then we have no body. We see in Genesis chapter 1 says that, that Jesus, that the Father, comes and breathes the breath of God into Adam and Eve. They were dead apart from him coming in and breathing into them, right? This whole idea here of, of Jesus, he is our source. Everything that we have comes from him, that he is our head, that he is our foundation. The way that we name that in scripture is simply that Jesus is Lord, that he's over all. He is the king over all. Everything is under him. Listen, it's, listen, it is important to recognize that we can never overstate the reality of the headship of Jesus. You can never overstate it. You can, you can never, you can never under, you can never underestimate the importance of it every day of your life. Living in a revelation moment of saying, God, I come again and recognize you're my head, you're my source, you're my breath of life, that I am nothing apart from you. We can never overstate that fact because I believe as these these, these human beings that always focus, look, who look to self to provide for self, to fight for self, we are by nature prone to look at ourselves and to overestimate ourselves and to underestimate God. That's why John the Baptist says, He must increase to the point that I decrease so you can't see me. We can never overestimate the reality of the headship of Jesus being all-powerful. We must recognize His leadership and of coming under Him in all times. That when we look at this uh, analogy of the canoe, that I get in the canoe and all I'm doing is saying, which way do we go? And how do I row? You again, I want to acknowledge again, you're in the front of the canoe and you're telling me where to go. If, we, if I try to go my route, we are going to crash, right? We're going to tip the canoe over, be filled with water, and definitely have a barrier of water in need of a breakthrough of getting dry 
dry and back in the canoe of rowing. You must row the canoe in front. You must tell me where to go because we're going to fail miserably and there will definitely be barriers in our lives if I am not following you in the rowing of our canoe. In talking about barriers coming down or breakthrough occurring, one of the first questions we have to ask ourselves is this. Am I really, am I really living every day with Jesus as my head? Am I living, am I really living every day and saying, Jesus, I need you to breathe your breath into me once again and fill me with your Holy Spirit. I need you to continue to move in me. Are you really, really living that way? All of us understand the head makes the decisions. If you cut your head off, your body is completely useless. My arm moves because my mind just told it to, right? Everything that happens in my body happens because my mind is moving to move me to that place to get my body to function. My, My body is useless apart from the head speaking to it in my life. We can never overestimate the G of Jesus being the head of us in our lives and the body of Christ. We can never overestimate this reality of looking and saying, "Mm, is he really the head of my life? We have to begin at this place of never overestimating that and looking at it. We see Jesus, Jesus coming in our lives. He's saying this. He's saying to, to the father, says, not my will, father, in the Garden of Gethsemane, not what I want to do, not overestimating myself, but looking to you and saying, your will be done. Your will be done. I, I love that part in John where Jesus says, I do nothing except that which I see my Father in heaven doing. I do nothing except that which I see my Father in heaven doing. Meaning, hey, Father, I'm in the canoe, and I'm not going to row anymore until I tell you which, until you tell me which way to row. I know I'm Jesus, I know I'm your Son, but I'm honoring the recogni- and recognizing that you are my head, and I'm rowing behind you. Which way are we going today? This is the testimony of the human being, Jesus, coming under the lordship of his father, saying, not my will, but your will be done. Which way are we rowing today? I'm following you. Because what happens in our lives is when we don't create Jesus as the head and live in the reality of it, barriers are erected in our lives and we need breakthrough. And if we will simply come and put ourselves under his lordship and his headship and follow him, I'm not saying all of a sudden, hey, everything's going to be perfect. Scripture never promises that. We've said that before, that when we go through hardships, that he is with us that he will guide us and he will make all things work to our good for those who are called according to his name and live in relationship with him. This is it, right? Are we partnered with him? Is he truly Lord? Is he your head? He doesn't come and say, I'm going to be your head and beat you over, the, beat you over your head and say, guilt, 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 I'm your head. No, he goes, will you simply follow me? Because trust me, I know a lot better than you do. Because I actually live at the end of your life right now, just as I lived yesterday and today. I am the beginning and the end of your entire creation and actually all of creation. I think I get it better than you do. And if you'll simply let me love you through it, I will be with you and guide you. Now, 
for all of you literalists, that does not mean you wake up in the morning and say, Jesus, should I use the toothbrush to brush my teeth this morning? Should I hop on 41 to get to Marietta, or should I get on 75? Oh, Jesus, help me. No, no. I'm talking about those moments of your life, and you know what they are, that you're sitting there with your finances. Jesus, my money belongs to you, and I don't want to rob from you by spending it on stuff, God, that I don't need. I want to give it to those who are actually in need. I want to invest it into the poor. I want to invest into the body of Christ so, God, it will have no ownership of me. God, I want to give you my wife. I want to give you my children. And, Lord, I want to trust you. And it's really hard for me to do that. It's so hard for me to let go of those who belong to me that you gave to me. But I want to release them and trust you with them, God. I want to, I want to trust you with my neighbors because they just don't like me. And they think that I'm weird. But I really want to be Jesus to them. Would you help me, God? I'm going to trust you in this. And all the, you know what I'm talking about, those life decisions, those moments where when you begin to make the decision, you feel the tension inside. And you're like, what is that tension? And it's simply the headship, of, the headship of Jesus saying, will you listen to me? Will you follow me? Will you follow me? That's what we're looking at this morning. This idea of the headship of Jesus in his love for us saying, trust me, I can do a lot better rowing the canoe and directing it than you can. You need to follow me. The second thing we find is this in partnership, is that Jesus, he empowers us for the partnership. He empowers us for his partnership. Verse 7 says, but to each one of us, to each one. How many of you recognize that you are each one? I'm just saying, all right? But to each one of us, grace, free gift you haven't earned, has been given, has Christ has apportioned it, into verse 8, and gave gifts to men. So the idea is, listen, each one of you, I've graced you, I've blessed you, I've poured myself out by giving you gifts. And we see it here in verse 11. It, is, it was he who gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets and some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and some to be teachers. Now, I'm not going to dive into all of those this morning because we could take a long time doing it. But what you simply need to see this morning is this, that Jesus, when you walked over, says, here's your paddle. Now let's get in the boat. We've got right thinking, right? We've got a plan in place. Now we're going to enact it. So as you sit in the canoe, he turns around and says, Now before we get started, i got something for you. What is it, Jesus? I've got gifts. Really? What are you going to do with them? Oh, it's pretty simple. I am going to empower you to row your canoe the exact same way that I do. Are you serious? Because you're the best canoe-powered guy I've ever seen in my life, right? You're almost like having a, an engine on the back, right? You're amazing. You're like this unbelievable rower. Yes, and I'm empowering you to row just like I do. This is amazing. He empowers us in verse 7. He has graced us with gifts. He's empowered us to live the life that he has called us to live. So he says, I'm calling you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. And you go, that's a huge task. He says, yes, but when you hop in the canoe, I'm going to give you my spirit and I'm going to empower you. And you find yourself as you begin to paddle. This is amazing saying, I have the same power in me that raised Jesus from the dead. That's what scripture tells you. We now had the same power in us that raised Jesus from the dead. This is 
unbelievable. Unbelievable. But he's done it. He says, I want to grace you, right? I want to grace you. I want to pour myself out into your life, right? He wants to individually choose how many gifts he pours into us and blessings and abilities that he's going to give us, right? And he pours them out into our lives. He says, now listen, I want to empower you. And what is he saying here? I'm going to empower you to live your life. And then guess what we get to do? It says this. He says in in verse 12, we get to use it to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So what he does is he comes and he empowers you and he builds you up. And he says, now take those gifts and do not hoard them, but teach other people how to row the canoe in power. You need to come along. Listen, each one of you with the gifts that have been given you, you have a responsibility in the people that you are leading, whether it's one person, whether it's your children, whether it's the people in your neighborhood, the people at work or people here at church. He's saying you have a responsibility to come alongside of them with the gifts that I've given you and to give them away to empower other people. This is amazing. And so the question is simply this. Do you believe it? And are you actually living in it? Do you believe that you're empowered right now? Do you believe the power of God is coursing through you to build up other people and to give yourselves to them, to teach them to become professional rowers in partnership with Jesus? This is what we are talking about, right? And here's what I would say is this. I believe that one of the greatest barriers to breakthrough in many of us is that we do not believe that this work has already been done for us. We don't know that we have actually, past tense, already been empowered. That the gifts have already been poured out into our lives. We see this in the, in the story of the prodigal son, right? The prodigal son takes all the stuff, he runs away. The elder son, the older son, stays at home with his father and works in the field. The younger son realizes one day, oh, I'm an idiot. He goes home, and the father says, I can't wait now to give gifts to you and throw a massive party for you. And the older son is out by his himself in the fields and he comes back and says, what is going on? And the, the helpers and the, the servants say, listen, your younger son, the, your brother, your brother has come home and your father has thrown this massive party for him. It's going to be a great thing. And the older son gets angry. He comes to his father and he says this, all these years, all these years I have been slaving for you. And you have never given me a single small gift, not even one thing in appreciation. And the father looks at him and says, you have always been with me. And everything I have is actually already yours. You have been with me forever and everything that I have is already yours. Basically saying the gifts that you want, they already belong to you. They were already here. You just needed to engage them. You didn't have to ask if you could have them. You just need to take them because they already belonged to you. You just never embraced them. What I want you to hear me say this morning, for those of you who are praying, Oh God, give me power just to live my life. I'm so overwhelmed and I don't know what to do. He says, everything I have already belongs to you. 
You've already been empowered to live the life that I've called you. First Peter, Second Peter says, I've already given you everything that you need pertaining to life and godliness simply through your knowledge of Jesus. And so many of us live every day not believing that. And I want you to hear me say, past tense, it's already been given. When you hopped in the canoe of relationship and partnership with Jesus, he said, here's your gift. Stop doing it in your own strength. Take my power and now row. Now, I know for a lot of you are like, you need to get practical. You need to break that down. We will. But right now what you need to do is know you're empowered. It already belongs to you. The third thing we find is this. We have from partnership. Partnership comes, is expressed through obedience. Partnership is expressed through obedience. Basically what you do. First John 5, 3 says, this, very simple, this is love for God. To obey his commands. And his, his commands aren't burdensome. This is how you express your love for Jesus by being obedient to him. John 14, 21. Jesus says, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he and she are the ones that love me. So what he's saying is this. How, so in this partnership we come and we say, Okay, Jesus, you've given me your power. You've given me this... You get, I've thrown away my little wooden paddle. You've given me a special paddle. Now I'm partnering with you. And now how I'm expressing my love to you as, the, as my head in the, this headship relationship of you being over me is I'm simply going to obey you. I'm simply going to be who you've called me to be and to do what you've called me to do. I'm going to express my love in this way. In verse 2 and 3, we see, we see this happening. It says this in verse 2 and 3. It says, Now, Paul coming, now I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling. So, You, be completely humble and gentle. Be completely humble and gentle. You need to be patient. You need to bear with one another in their shortcomings, in their struggles in life. You need to bear with them. You need to be able to press through those things that you don't like about them, bear those things, and continue to love them. And it says in verse 3, I love this, So, in, in you, you make every human effort. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Doesn't that a picture of every difficult relationship that you're in? Make every effort. Oh my gosh, it's so hard to love that person. But I'm going to make every effort to do this. So what? To prepare God's people for works to serve so the body of Christ may be built up. That's your call. He's saying now you need to prepare God's people. You need to engage it. You need to invest in the people by speaking truth in love in verse 15. By speaking truth in love. By coming and speaking, investing, and engaging in their life. We are making every effort. This means working hard. Now, here's the caveat. So many people say, well, you know, they live their life saying, I've, they say, well, God's mad at me because I didn't work to do this. I'm not working at my quiet time, so God's not, not happy with me. I'm not working and spending time in the Bible, so God's not happy. I'm not, you know, all the things you're told to do as a Christian, right? And what I would say is this. <clears throat> you can't work to prove anything to God. And you can't work to earn anything from God. You can't work and say, well, I, I spent two hours in prayer today, so I'm going to have a great day with Jesus. Why? Because I've proved it and I've earned it. That's what you mean. And what I would simply say is this. You work hard 
to express what's already going on in your heart. Listen, I, don't, I did not wake up this morning and say, okay, I'm going to get up and help the girls get ready to go to church today so I can prove to Randall that I love her. No, I didn't actually get up and help them get dressed this morning. But if I had, right, I didn't actually get up this morning and do this to prove anything to her. You know why? Because she already knows that I love her. Right? And, and I didn't get up and do it to, so that I could earn lust. Say, oh, if I just do this, then Randall will love me. No, no. I live every day in the reality that every single one of you are a distant third to me being number one. This is the physical term, right? Being number one and my, and my kids being number two, right? I mean, I know it. I live every day in the reality of my wife's love for me. I don't do it to earn anything from her or to prove anything. I, love, I, I do this because I just want to show her I love her. I want to express it so that... So she already knows it, but I want to express it just so that, yes, it's just confirmed again and again and again, this is my love for you. And so when we get here and he says, listen, I want you, I want you to come here and I want you to make every effort. It's not to prove anything. It's not to earn anything. It's simply to sit back in the back of the canoe and say, I just love you. I can't wait to show you again because you're about to turn left. I'm going to show you again. Left. Oh, this is awesome. You know it's true. I just want to show you again because I can't help but tell you how much I love you by showing it, by being obedient, by following you every day of my life. This is awesome. And I don't like rowing all the time because it's hard. Being in a partnership, sometimes it's difficult, Jesus. I mean, we go through this time over here and it's not easy and I'm expressing my love again and again because I want to, because I want to follow you. This is the partnership that we're called to in relationship with Jesus. I look at him and say, you are my head because you know a lot better than I do. I can't even trust myself, but I can trust you. So I'm going to get under you. I'm going to follow you and go with you. And I want to thank you for empowering me so that now I have the same power that you do to row like you do so I can come and teach somebody else how to row like we do together in our relationship so we can get them in the canoe with us so now we're all paddling together and I'm looking at those who are under me that I'm quote-unquote their head and that I'm speaking to them, I'm teaching them, I'm engaging them and I'm saying, guys, this is how you go left, watch this. Oh, here we go. Now do it and follow the head of Jesus, right? And as we do that, we say, and we're doing this because we just want to express again and again how much we love him. We're not going to earn anything because we can't earn anything. We can't earn more love from him. He's already loved us with everything. And we can't prove anything because he already knows. That's it. We've taken this step, and so every day, and if you continue to read through uh, verse 17 all the way through Ephesians, you begin to see Paul naming very specific things that are hindrances to us living under the headship of Jesus. And he talks about sexual immorality, and he begins to talk about our, our finances. He begins to talk about living a life of humility and of preferring others. I mean, all sorts of stuff in Ephesians, very practical things. But it begins here. You are my Lord. You are my head. I am going to, I want to thank you for empowering me so that I can, I can do what you've called me to do. And you've empowered me to live this life. And I don't want to live clueless to that. And so, so listen, this is going to wreck you. Some of you spend way too much time praying for things that have already been given to you. 
You've already been empowered to bring breakthrough. You've already been empowered to be intimate with Jesus and to hear his voice. And so many of us live in this place saying, Oh, Jesus. Oh. Instead of saying, Jesus, I now come under your lordship and I speak breakthrough in this area. God, I'm going to speak into this person over here who's dying. I'm going to speak healing. I'm going to speak wholeness. God, we're going to believe you. I'm not going to like the elder son who sits outside working and working and working for you and never actually engaging what you've already given me. You're going to have to pray into that this week and say, that didn't really make any sense. God, give me understanding, right? And guess what? If you'll sit down and ask him, he'll give it to you. James says, if you're lacking wisdom, just ask him and he'll give it. So ask for wisdom in that. God, how am I not living that out? And the third thing is this. Obviously, work hard. Partnerships are hard. You have to engage and invest your time. That's the most practical thing I can say. You're going to have to engage this partnership and work. This is what it's all about. So the result of this when we have this equal belief in action on our scales, is verse 13 and 14, which says, We will become mature, attaining to the whole measure. That's, whole, that's powerful. We will become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The fullness of Christ is your destination. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and the craftiness of men in their deceitful teaching and their deceitful scheming. This is the result for you. Let's pray. Father, we ask you this morning that you would come and speak into us this deep.